Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I'm here with Kristen Lepianka. Hello. And we are also joined by a special guest today, Rachel Mans McKenney. Um, Rachel is a Midwesterner born and raised. Uh, her debut novel, The Butterfly Effect, was published by Penguins Alcove Press in December 2020. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, nice to see you. Well, not really see you, but nice to be here with you online. <laughs> yes, nice to meet you on the internet. <laughs> Wouldn't it be creepy if like, if people started saying nice to hear you? Since Ooh. we're all like, we don't see each other anymore, just in general in the world. Like, so nice to hear you. <laughs> like, something about that is really creepy. It's so creepy, but I yeah. like it. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, so today's topic, which Rachel suggested, actually. So thank you, Rachel. Um, we are going to talk about Midwestern niceness or not so niceness, as the case may be. Um, we are all Midwestern ladies here. And the the phenomenon of Midwest nice is something I find that I'm explaining a lot to my friends who are not from here. Like if you're from here, you just understand it. So thought it would be a fun thing to dig into in relation to unlikable female characters. So Rachel, you're from Iowa, right? Yes, I live in Iowa. I grew up in the in Nebraska. So I have okay. a wide range of Midwestern experiences. You do. <laughs> love it. Okay. Yeah, we're kind of covering the map here pretty well, I think. And then Kristen, you're yeah. from Ohio. Yes. Born and I raised, in right? Columbus. Um, I was actually born in the Pittsburgh area, which counts as a mid-Atlantic state, Pennsylvania. But it's so close to the Ohio border that I feel like it is all it is all part of the the Midwest over. I guess I didn't know that about you because I, too, was born in Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, and I went to college oh. there. My dad always said the Midwest ended at Pittsburgh and having lived near Pittsburgh, I was like, no, that's not true. Because <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving from the Midwest to Western Pennsylvania, people did not subscribe to this or like ascribe to the same kinds of niceness rituals that I saw growing up I thought interesting because I do think of western Pennsylvania as like part of the midwest like it doesn't seem that different to me from where I grew up in Ohio so I lived I was born in Grove City and then we lived in Pennsylvania a couple different places but when I was really young like first or second grade we moved to Ohio and then I've lived there I lived there ever since like I went to graduate school there I lived in the Columbus area in the Cleveland area and then moved to Chicago about a decade ago and that's where I am now um so I've been kind of all over but I think western Pennsylvania is a funny one because it's it's definitely I think it's more like Ohio than it is like eastern Pennsylvania but it is kind of its own thing yeah so what are some of the things that you connect with midwest niceness that you um, saw in in Pennsylvania still or that you attribute to your area right now? Just being really passive aggressive and reserved. Like that's what I always <laughs> think of. <laughs> that's how I that's how I define it. Like you you can't really if you don't know someone really well, if they're from the Midwest, they could be saying something that sounds completely nice, but they actually com- totally loathe you and are insulting you. But the fi- that's such a fine line. It's so like difficult to tell if you're not from here and can't like read the code. Yeah, we have like a very polite way of being nasty, I guess. Like uh-huh. we we might be nasty, we might be being nasty, but we're doing it politely, I think. I think there's a lot of that for sure. Um I know that some of my friends who grew up in the south can understand some of the same sort of ritual uh hellos and greetings and the fact that you can have a 10-minute conversation about the weather and actually <laughs> hate the person that you're talking with yeah. you're just passing the time 
we do love to talk about the weather. We do. <laughs> That's actually like that might be a sort of a Midwestern thing because our weather is so just like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like it like, you know, it was like 30 degrees here two days ago and now it's sweltering in my apartment. And it's a safe topic that no yes. one's going to get like offended about. And I feel like there's sort of set roles in a conversation when you talk about the weather. Like if you're like, oh, I can't believe it's raining. You know, the other person has to take the, well, good thing for the farmers. Like you have to take (laughs) the opposite side of the conversation and like play your role. It's the set script. Well, in the Midwest, the classic thing is like, oh, it wouldn't be so bad if it weren't, if it weren't for the wind. Like if (laughs) if it weren't for the wind. (laughs) (laughs) And occasionally if it weren't for the humidity. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> or it's not so bad in the sun when it's like negative 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm a little sad that Wendy can't be here today to like be the befuddled Californian who's like so confused by all of this. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't know about weather. She doesn't know about this Midwestern niceness. It's a, uh, we'll have to get her take on it after this episode is out. She can listen to this. It'll be like very educational for her, I think. Hi, yes. Wendy. This is your primer for like if you have a Midwestern friend, uh, this is your introduction to our culture, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) I do think it is different from the South, though, because I mean, in the South, there's the passive aggressive, the like, bless your heart, meaning fuck you kind of thing. I don't think like Midwestern nice is not so overtly like demonstratively loving and kind and welcoming, but then actually like you're going to stab someone in the back. It's all very reserved. Like we're, we're not yes. like an effusive people. <laughs> we, we are not, we are not effusive. We don't, we don't just like bubble over with sweetness. We are, mm-hmm. we are much more calm about our, um, our feelings. We're just sort of like conserving body heat, I guess. Because <laughs> <of the> <laughs> totally. Like, my literary agent is a Midwesterner also. She is from Michigan, and Mm. I've talked to some of her other clients who are from the South, and they were like, it took me a while to realize, you know, she actually was, like, happy with my work because she's not super effusive. But to me, Mm -hmm. that's really comfortable. If someone's super effusive, I don't trust them. I'm like, Yeah, seriously. It's like, why are you you gaslighting me right now? Like, what's going on? Well, do you also find yourself having a hard time accepting praise? Like, you feel like you have to defer it a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't? Oh, (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for saying that. But, you know, this is really good because I had some help from X. It's very (laughs) hard to just take a compliment and say thank you. To me, the peak Midwestern thing is if someone compliments anything you own, like your outfit, your like dining table, your car, whatever. And Midwesterners will almost always respond with like, oh, thanks. I got it on sale. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That is like the most Midwestern thing to me. And I don't, it's one of those things that I just all my life did. And then as an adult realized like, oh, that's actually not (laughs) something that is everywhere that is Midwestern. And like people don't actually want to know. It's not like they're uh, taking a balance of how much you're spending on your clothing or anything. Right. (laughs) No, but it is like that deferring like, oh yeah, but I I have this nice thing that I'm not fancy. I got it on sale. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm just like you. (laughs) If you were going to a potluck uh, at a, you know, neighborhood potluck in the Midwest, what would your potluck dish be? Kristen, I'm going to let you go first. Well, I would probably try to bring cups because (laughs) I would rather not cook anything if I didn't have to. Um, But if if cups were already taken by some man on the list, then I would probably go for um, an oven baked mac and cheese. Wow. 
how do you, I mean, this might be controversial, but how do you top your mac and cheese? I, um, I am not a fan of the breadcrumbs. So okay. I, I top with a heavy layer of more cheese. More cheese. <laughs> yes. What about bacon and the mac and cheese? How do we feel about this? Uh, I'm definitely pro eating that. Um, I don't cook meat because that's gross. So <clears throat> I would not prepare it that way. Um, okay. But yeah, I think, I think smoked meats definitely have their place in a good mac and cheese. <laughs> Yeah, I don't cook at all, so I would definitely be trying to bring the cups also, or I would bring something <laughs> packaged, or maybe something um, like from the fancy grocery store that I could then put into my own container and pretend that I had made it. But no one, if anyone, this would only work if no one there knew me. Like, if they knew me, they would know that I was bullshitting them because I don't cook at all. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? Well, I probably would bring, well, have you guys had a lot of Snicker salad before? No, but that sounds amazing. No. Okay. This? So this is typical Midwest side dish, um, and it passes off as, as a salad. So the main ingredients are Cool Whip, of course, vanilla pudding, diced up Granny Smith apples, and whole Snicker bars that you cut into chunks. Oh my god! Do we <laughs> have this in Ohio? Amazing! I've no, never heard of me either. But that sounds wonderful. <laughs> It is so flippin' delicious, but it is hilarious what we can get away with calling a salad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I had told a friend, like, uh, I was having her family over for dinner pre-pandemic, and I was like, I'm making lasagna, can you bring a salad? And she brought Snicker salad, <laughs> and so we, <laughs> we, we had a bowl full of candy, basically, and then, like, cheesy lasagna, and we're all just sitting there smiling like, Oh, this is so good. Oh, it's not that good. You know, I just threw it together. It's what I, you know. <laughs> yeah. Can't accept that praise. Not even for something as amazing as Snickers salad. Yeah, absolutely not. I want to try that now. Oh my God. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Like I'm, I'm, I feel mad that we don't have that here. Oh, you need to bring it there. You can start that. <laughs> start the trend. I can initiate it here in, in Ohio. Mm. We do have, I mean, in Ohio, we have, uh, Jenny's ice cream, which is the greatest export of Ohio, uh, the greatest just, export of all of the Midwest. I must, I, I would argue. It's so good. It's so good. I, I got some of that for my lunch day. That was my treat. Nice. I ordered some pints of Jenny's to be delivered for my lunch day in December, and I pretty much ate them by myself. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream in December also very Midwestern. So I must commend you there. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a food group, and you have to make sure you eat enough of it mm -hmm. to support the farmers. <laughs> So are, to support the farmers. <laughs> so are there people who think that ice cream is not a wintertime food? Probably. Probably Wendy. If she were probably. here, she'd be like recoiling in horror from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> My favorites. Uh, so do you guys know Liz Lenz at all? Mm -hmm. She's mm -hmm. a journalist. She's she's uh, lives in Iowa as well. And uh, I got a chance to chat with her when her book Godland got... Um, got released. And I asked her for her casserole recipe. And she said that she took one from her old, her former mother-in-law, that was just like a funeral potatoes kind of recipe. So it's like potatoes and I think like chicken soup mix and um, sour cream. And then she she did what's calling slutting it up. <laughs> 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 because she's Liz Lenz and can get away with that. And she adds like sour cream and onion chips crushed up on top of it. 
Nice. We love to crush chips on top of things. Yes, we do. That's absolutely true. Put them in sandwiches, like whatever. Love it. So do you want to talk about, let's talk about some characters who sort of fit this like Midwestern nice archetype. And why don't we start, Rachel, with the main character in your novel, The Butterfly Effect. So Greta is interesting because she she's like very antisocial. I saw some reviews I was reading, like the Amazon reviews and people calling her like prickly and a curmudgeon, which just made me love her more. (laughs) (laughs) But she's like. As with many people in the Midwest, it's like she's not super friendly on the outside for sure. But I think like her inner monologue is much meaner than like if you met her, you wouldn't necessarily. I I don't know. Like there's like the surface level and then there's like what she's thinking on the inside. And I know that as a Midwesterner, it's like I might seem nicer or at least like polite in company. But then like on the inside, I'm thinking like very mean, judgmental (laughs) things all the time. So you want to just tell us a little bit about her and like the inspiration for the character of the book? Yeah, absolutely. So part of it was I started writing this book in 2016. And there were obviously so many cultural things going on, um, especially with being a woman and being how you're perceived from the outside. And also just me being a person living in Iowa, being a literal soccer mom, you know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to write someone who just didn't choose to participate in the ritual niceties that Mm -hmm. I am forced to do every day. And I I honestly enjoy it because it helps build our, our, I live in a small town and it's just a sort of part of the whole deal. But I wanted to see what would happen if I took a character and I went against all of my own instincts in how she related to other people mm-hmm. and just sort of making an opposite decision and where that would lead me. And so my first draft was even meaner. <laughs> 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 and I had to go back through and really sort of find her center and find um, the the book really centers around her taking care of her brother because um, he has a health health incident. And so her being rooted in her love of her brother and he really understands her and her personality, but her prickliness is really directed towards literally everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing people react to her and she does change a little bit over the course of the novel. You know, she makes decisions slightly differently by the end of it. For instance, she's put into a funeral lunch, lunch situation at the end and she participates in a way that she would not have at the beginning of the novel. And that was an interesting transformation for me to write, but I didn't want her to end up being somebody who would uh, do like the ritual apology on the street and apologize for running someone running into her, you know? So I really appreciated writing a very prickly heroine and yes, reviewers uh, look at the cover and it looks very much like a rom-com and it's not a (laughs) rom-com. And so like the first few reviewers were like, what am I reading? Like, she's such a grouch. And yeah, she is. Um, But she does, you know, find relationships that are meaningful to her throughout the novel. And you sort of grow to understand her more. And then she grows to understand what would be more normal (laughs) as well. Yeah, I mean, I immediately related to her and her voice. I wasn't, I don't know, I'm like a grump too, I guess. But I Because she's not, I mean, so often Kristen and I are both crime writers. And so we will tend to write maybe like more like evil, nasty female characters. And she's not that. She just doesn't want to play the game. Like she just doesn't see the point of all of it um, and doesn't want to do all the things that women are socialized to do. And I thought the kind of personality conflict between 
her her and her brother's uh, fiance right that she's like more perky like the kind of cheerleader midwestern type like wholesome whatever and Greta's just like I don't like understand how it's like a different species (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well and originally I wrote the book in three perspectives I wrote it in Greta's perspective that perky um, fiance was one of the perspectives and then her brother was the other perspective okay and I gave it to my agent and my agent was like um, it's actually Greta's story. And I was like, oh no, I have to rewrite the whole book from a grump's perspective. And I <laughs> somehow have to make the audience care about the relationship of these other two people as they, you know, work on their relationship. And sh- and Greta really hates them as a couple. So how do mm-hmm. I get the audience to be rooting for them as a couple? And, you know, so it was an interesting challenge. And I hope I never, ever have to rewrite a book that heavily again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> I feel like it happens to everyone at some point in their careers. Maybe you got it out of the way early and then you'll be smooth sailing from yeah. on out. <laughs> Did you find it more natural to write in the voice of the fiance and the brother than in Greta's voice? Oh, it was so easy to write in the fiance's voice and Meg's voice because yeah. she is a lot like the people I see around me or, you know, she does participate in sort of niceness and being kind to people and doing the the thing that you would most consider easy to do. And so, yeah, I cringed a lot while writing some of Greta's scenes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was probably fun, though, to kind of like get into it. Because I feel like even, no matter how nice or like how good of a person you are, you have those those kind of mean thoughts at some time. Sometimes. I think I have them all the time, but... <laughs> I had them more and more as uh, the political season changed as well. I was like, I'm becoming grumpier and less likely to uh, follow the norms that I would have anyway. I just kind of give no shits now. Um. (laughs) That's true. That was a time when I think a lot of women like who maybe had been nice for a long time were just like, I'm fucking over it. Like no more. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. Yeah. it, It could be that there like has been or will continue to be like a sea change of that that particular type of niceness um especially midwestern niceness because we all know that like we live in the same neighborhood as a bunch of crazy people who voted for trump so Mm -hmm. it's sort of like we we always could have suspected that but it was like kind of a great unmasking of certain things that we then found to be very unacceptable so like i don't i don't think i've personally like witnessed that change uh, especially because like I've spent the last year hiding in my home um (laughs) but I think it definitely could be that uh some some midwestern niceness especially for women could be changing because of that I think you're probably right and I also think a lot of the roles that we're usually expected to fill in communities that kind of use that midwestern niceness like being classroom moms or being um like helping in our churches or, you know, we haven't been able to do those things. And also we haven't had the bandwidth to do those things. And so it's really been a, I have to take care of my family and myself. And I don't think that Midwestern women or a lot of women in general in the United States have had that chance to just be like, no, I'm not going to take on any more emotional labor outside of my own house right now. I literally cannot do it. And to be able to say no for the first time is really strange. And I don't know mm. if people will continue to say yes after the pandemic is over. I don't know. Yeah. Very true. That's a good point. 
I hope not. I want us all to say no as much as possible. (laughs) Seriously. Well, I mean, you even see it not in a Midwestern context, but in general, like all those stories that are coming out about like restaurants, um, other places that pay minimum wage, can't find anyone to staff (laughs) their establishments because they're like shitty jobs and now unemployment pays more and people are like, no, no, thanks. I'm good. Like they're not going to do it just because it's what's expected to be like an industrious member of the community. Well, and even how many marriages are changing radically, you know, since the pandemic. I, I remember I got to a point last spring when I started having to say to my husband, I need, I need something. And I never really had forcefully asked for something like that before to be like, no, I need two hours to do my own work. You need to watch the children and not be like, oh, honey, you know, could you blah, blah. No, like, this is what I need. You need to find out how to make it work. Um, And I don't know what the long-term effects of that are going to be. I know there's lots of people who are doing things like filing for divorce (laughs) as soon as they possibly can. (laughs) Um, But I wonder if the marriages that come out of this will be radically different. I hope so. I hope so, like in a good way. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. talked in a previous episode about all of the um, stories that keep coming out where the New York Times has like discovered that women are doing way more work around the home during this pandemic. Like, <laughs> oh, you don't say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> keep discovering it over and over. Yes. But there's so many amazing other Midwestern women um, in other books and who who do or do not subscribe to this whole idea of niceness. And I definitely wanted to hear some more of the ones that you guys thought of. And one that I wanted to bring up was definitely Elena Richardson from Celeste Ng's Little Fires Everywhere. She to me is like, like peak Midwest niceness where it's so, um, so smiley. And so on the exterior saying like, well, I'm looking out for your best interests. Um, And honestly, she's not. And Mm -hmm. There's a lot of anger sort of roiling under the surface and distrust in her whole household. So I just thought she was definitely an example of that Midwest nice facade. Yeah, that's a good one. One I thought might be interesting to talk about is um, Go from Gone Girl, Mm. Nick's sister, because she's like actually kind of mean and prickly, like, (laughs) but we mostly see her with Nick. And I feel like she is much more like she says what she thinks to him because they're twins. They've known each other (laughs) their whole lives and like just um, have this different way of speaking to each other. But then like, I don't get the impression that until Amy does what she does, that that Margot really was like aggressive towards Amy or like telling her that she didn't like her. I think she was kind of being nice to her face and then turning around and saying all this shit to Nick. Yeah. Um, That feels very Midwestern to me. And that book to me is so fascinating because it's basically like you're taking this person who's from the East coast and, and very um, (laughs) duplicitous and psychopathic and whatever, and like putting her in this Midwestern context where she doesn't understand the rules but kind of learns them quickly enough to take advantage of people like there's the that neighbor who she like gets dupes into helping her with her her scheme (laughs) and all that like she's using people's midwestern niceness as part of her her plot yes yes i don't think absolutely the story of gone girl would have happened if amy had not been removed from the east coast and put in where are they missouri missouri yeah yeah, I think I it's think like so either. it's like a story that came from that contrast and her just sort of like not knowing the rules and then just learning the rules enough to be able to take advantage of people and benefit in her twisted psychopathic ways. 
And that she was so bored living there, like the boredom. Yes. <laughs> I think <laughs> gave her too much time to think and scheme. Um, I'm always, even though I am Midwestern, I like living in cities. Like I um, love living in Chicago and I'm always telling my partner if he were to move me to his hometown in like rural Pennsylvania I'm like I don't know what might happen like you might be in a gone girl situation and I'm just warning you (laughs) I do think it's funny though when people who really haven't spent a long a large amount of time in the Midwest write about the Midwest as sort of like completely rural and cut off and somehow like this exceptionalism of you know and it's absolutely not that (laughs) I um my agent is very east coast and she came to visit me she flew into Des Moines and she um, we were driving around and she's like, oh my gosh, there's pride flags up. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's Des Moines like, is a city. Like, there's like gay people in Iowa too. <laughs> like, <laughs> but also like, even if you drive, you know, 40 miles North, there's still pride flags in my tiny town too. You know, there's, um, I think people who don't ever visit rural places don't understand also how complex and multi-layered there can be, but also right. still participate in some of these norms we think of as Midwestern. So mm-hmm. it is really just interesting. I know that's kind of out of nowhere. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think that's really true. The town I'm from in Ohio is um, that I spent most of my childhood in and my mother still lives there. It's like an hour north of Columbus. And it is very like you would not really see pride flags there. But if you go to Columbus or any of the suburbs, yeah, like it's super diverse and um, there's it's a difference between there and Chicago. Certainly, I always say like when people ask me what it's like living in Chicago, I'm like, we have everything New York has, but people are nicer. They're not as like brash, but we also have a chip on our shoulder because we're the second city. We're always like second best, <laughs> and kind of an attitude about that. <laughs> That's Chicago. I love Chicago. Ugh. Do you think there's like a difference in? like culture because there are so many people who live in Chicago who are not from the Midwest just because it is like a cosmopolitan city it's like different from Columbus in that way that's probably part of it but what is interesting about Chicago also is there's a ton of people from different parts of the Midwest here Mm. it's kind of like where if you don't want to live in your small town but you don't want to go to New York or LA or like Seattle you end up in Chicago um like most of my friends here from like Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and like you know (laughs) so everybody kind of ends up here I think but yeah there's people from from all over the country and all over the world here as well um it's a great city it is so what other examples do we have? I, um, to prepare for this episode yesterday, I rewatched Drop Dead Gorgeous, a Midwestern classic. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Brilliant. <laughs> it like hits a little different now after the Trump years than like knowing what we know about Kirstie Alley and everything. Right, right. Interesting. Oh, that is such a classic. I need to go back and rewatch it. I just love how campy it is. Mm-hmm. Every single moment of it is just frame for frame pink and fake smiles like Vaseline like Vaseline teeth I just love that movie what I found interesting rewatching Drop Dead Gorgeous was it's so politically incorrect like there's a lot of stuff in there that you could not it's kind of taking aim at like everyone but there's a lot of stuff that I don't think that you could like jokes you couldn't make now because Twitter would be very very upset (laughs) 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 but it is such a um Kiersey Alley's character especially and like that whole whole family they're like peak midwestern nice like they're very into appearances and like just so nice to your face but we'll stab you in the back and uh uh, god i love that movie it's it's 
underappreciated classic, I think. <laughs> Can I also say that I don't think Home Alone would have worked if it wasn't because it's Chicago, right? Yeah. Right. I don't think that movie would have worked if it wasn't Chicago because I don't think that the whole conceit of getting a ride back from like a Wisconsin traveling <laughs> like band, you know, because he was Midwestern nice. Right. And yeah. He gave the mom the ride back to Chicago and it just felt very natural, like part of the plot, even though she was at her last wit end. So I, you know, some strong Midwest movies here. Wow. Yes. That just made me think like Ferris Bueller. He is like a psychopath, but he is like a very Midwestern psychopath. <laughs> Man, I could talk about that for like a whole episode, but I won't. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I want to read that like PhD dissertation now. Ferris Bueller, the Midwestern psychopath. Oh man, somebody write that. Somebody should write that. Yeah, that would be fantastic. That's a free idea for whoever's listening because I don't have the time. Right. Um, I wanted to mention Lori Moore's work. I feel like she writes some quintessential Midwestern characters. She does a great job of having both characters who are like from the Midwest, but also who are transplanted to the Midwest and are like, what? Um, but a lot of, you know, she, she writes about like academia a lot and the, just the way people are never like, people are never saying exactly what they mean. Um, and I've been obsessed with her work forever. I know I talked about her on this podcast last year when she had, um, she had written a review of the show Normal People that was like scathing and it went viral. And even that whole piece, I think was pretty um midwestern nice well i would be remiss if i didn't mention fargo both the movie oh and yes the, the show of course <laughs> yes 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 since every time i introduce myself to people it's like oh like the like the movie and i'm like yeah <laughs> actually went to i was on a road trip with my partner a few years ago and we stopped in fargo north dakota and went to the like visitor center where they have the wood chipper from the movie <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's and amazing. I told them my last name was Fargo and they were like very Midwestern. They're like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so and then I bought a like Fargo hoodie that I still wear all the time. Oh, my gosh. That is so brilliant. I feel like especially in random parts of the Midwest, there's like not actually that much to see. So we make our own fun like Carhenge in Nebraska or have you guys ever been to the Spam Museum in Austin, Minnesota? <laughs> I've not been, but I've heard of it. And then there's the giant ball of twine, right? Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. We There's, a, I think, a giant rocking chair in Iowa somewhere. Um, there's just all sorts of... We make our own fun over here. Good and idea. we got it on sale, for sure. Flatland yeah. up with something. <laughs> yeah, we, here in, in central Ohio, we have this, like, concrete cornfield, except... Instead of it being like stalks of corn, it's like as if an ear of corn was the same height as a stalk of corn. So it's like gigantic concrete ears of corn sticking up out of the ground. Um, Kristen, I took prom photos there. Did you really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. <laughs> oh, you need to share those. I, think I don't know so. if I still have them. I remember oh. us like stopping there because we would always, my town, like in my town, there's nothing there's like no nice restaurants or anything really. Um, so like for the prom, we would go to Columbus, it's like an hour drive and we would, uh, yeah, we would go to Columbus and eat dinner and then like drive all the way back. So it's like a two hour round <laughs> trip for dinner on prom night, which was totally normal. That was like what everybody did, but we definitely stopped at the concrete ears of corn. <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing. 
That sounds almost horrifying, though. Like, it definitely seems like the place where someone would get murdered if it was dark. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it is disconcerting because it's like, I mean, if it had just been concrete cornfield, that would have been bad enough. But because it's like, the scale is all weird. And it's like, why are there these giant things coming out of the ground? And it's in a really random place, too. Like, it's not even, it's not even where you might imagine something like that would be. Like, it's kind of... Where would you imagine something like that would be? (laughs) Well, like, uh, I might imagine it would be, like, kind of, like, out in the middle of nowhere, sort of one of those, like, there's nothing to do for miles and miles, so someone got bored and built this, and here's a visitor center and a place where you can get a snack. But instead, it's, like, kind of in the middle of a big suburb, (laughs) which, like, (laughs) that's weirder, right? Like... (laughs) It is really yeah. weird. <laughs> I think Roxanne Weary needs to find some bodies there, I think, Kristen. Like, I think so. Is... <laughs> I think so. <laughs> what an undignified place to die. Seriously. You could call it like, I'm all ears is the... Ugh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also need to talk about what I think is like the mo- most Midwestern thing on the internet. Although we can talk about this person in, in general. So Amy Klobuchar... <laughs> <laughs> is like just kind of the epitome of this Midwestern niceness, especially at the presidential debates and like in her rivalry with Mayor Pete, also a very Midwestern (laughs) individual. And there was this amazing clip going around on Twitter, um, which we'll insert the audio so everybody can can hear it and you don't have to hunt it down. Um, So in this clip, Amy is talking to Pete at his confirmation hearing to be what transportation secretary. And she's saying all of these like really like, nice things like you know just like oh you're gonna do such a good job you're gonna be such a thoughtful secretary I don't know but every you can just tell from like her word choice and like the pauses that she takes and the like smile on her face that she hates this man (laughs) (laughs) just like every pore in her body hates this man and she's insulting him and since he is also Midwestern he is well aware Welcome, um, Mayor Pete. I want to thank you for being here. I think you know how excited I am about your uh, nomination and what a great transportation secretary you will be. I know you well, and I can attest to all my colleagues uh, what a forward-thinking and thoughtful uh, secretary you will truly be in a very important area for all of us and for our nation. So people were posting this on Twitter and like the Midwesterners were like, oh my God, she wants to like eat his heart. <laughs> and everyone else was like, what? She's she's being nice like she gave him compliments and oh my god no not at all like one thing to watch so if you're not midwestern and you want to check someone's sincerity in an online video mute it and then look for eye crinkles when they smile if there's no yes no crinkles around the eyes that is completely false you might as well have like a a lie detector going on well and i also thought the way she emphasized secretary like you're not president little little man like you're gonna be a fantastic secretary good for Uh you good for you and it's like not even one of the good secretarial positions right as we know so uh well and also just the fact that she's a prosecutor um you know, being a woman prosecutor in the first place, I think, can probably be sort of a fraught thing. But the way she absolutely ripped Kavanaugh apart when mm-hmm. he was on you know, doing his pre being sworn in stuff, you know, she she was absolutely kind to him. You know, I know several people who've struggled with alcohol addiction, but also <laughs> like the way she brought stuff out, you might as well be throwing daggers at his eyes. You know, it was. <laughs> it was absolutely eviscerating. Yeah. 
Oh, and then there's that story about her that someone like brought her a salad, but they forgot to bring a fork. <laughs> I, I and then she like <laughs> yeah. disdainfully ate the salad with a comb and then like made them clean the comb. <laughs> uh. Legit, I would do that though. I'd be like, oh, I guess I just have to have my comb salad. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you don't yell at the person. You don't like scream at them and like throw things. You know, you you eat with the comb, like seething all the while. Yes. And then you hand them the comb. <laughs> I think she has been famously like famous for actually losing it and actually yeah, she yelling. Does sometimes, yeah. Um, but you know, I appreciate the public moments where we see on display the not niceness of of being Midwestern nice for sure. Well, that's the thing, though. It's like you can only do this even if you're very Midwestern. I feel like you can only act this way for so long before you're going to have some sort of outburst. <laughs> like it's not healthy to just <laughs> like repress all of your emotions like this. And it does come out sometimes in interesting, interesting ways. Um, so I think that's what's happening with her. She's like trying to be so nice all the time. And then it just like jumps out. She does not sound pleasant to work for. Also. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that video made me so happy. And all of the comments under the video from befuddled like East Coast people and, and West Coast people, they're just like, what? She's she's being nice. I don't. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I think there's something like if you if you like wrote down what she said in the permanent record of that day, it would be like perfectly fine. No one would be like, of course, no one would be like, oh, my God, what was she? You know, she was she was ripping him a new one. But it's like tone is everything, guys, especially in the Midwest. Yeah, she planned it that way so she could get like you can get away with so much being Midwestern nice. That's (laughs) one of the great things about it. Like because anybody who it's almost like a form of gaslighting, to to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because people will like like you're you're being nice. And then someone's like, are you are you mad at me? And you're like, no, no, like just (laughs) everything's fine. Like that whole thing. It is. It's like gaslighting, but it's fun. So I'm not going to stop doing it. I was wondering what you guys think about like writing characters like this is an interesting challenge because I think like to people who are not from the Midwest and don't kind of understand this, they can come across really like duplicitous, right? Because especially if you're writing in like a close POV or first person POV, like the person might be thinking how much they like hate someone and like, or they're mad at them or whatever, but then they're saying nice things and like acting in a way that that person wouldn't know. So like to a reader that can come across as very duplicitous and dare I say unlikable Um, (laughs) I think it's fun though like it's like an interesting thing to play with as opposed to having a character who's just like what they say is what they mean like it gives you that extra layer but I can see how readers maybe don't react that way I think for me because like I'm writing sort of um procedural mysteries where there's clues being planted um like my main character she she doesn't she she does demonstrate the midwestern niceness when she's dealing with people that she doesn't like but when <clears throat> like in her in her natural state when she's not sort of like having to go out there and be pushier than she naturally would be i think that she is she doesn't sort of fall into that but um with like other characters who have clues that need to be sort of sprinkled around i think it is really important to be careful with that that duplicitous thing not to not to let it feel like this person's midwestern niceness is going to readers are going to find it suspicious in a way that I don't want them to find it suspicious if that makes sense mm-hmm. i think there's just kind of a little bit of a a balancing act there 
Yeah, because it can come across as very suspicious um, when, like, for someone who's Midwestern, it's like a conflict avoidance strategy. It's not necessarily, like, intended to be mean or or whatever. It's just, like, how we all get along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I find to, I tend to find myself writing in multiple perspectives, I guess, even if they get edited out later. <laughs> and, I, and I usually have one of those perspectives challenging that idea of niceness at some point in the novel or coming to grips with a social situation in a way that perhaps takes on that niceness and flips it on its head. Um, and I just, that's sort of one of the things I like to write about is especially women's relationships with one another in the Midwest, because I think I don't see that a lot on the page and it's fun to write about, but it's easier when you have one character who does subscribe more to the niceness or the common decency Mm -hmm. (laughs) or understands all the social mores really well. And then one character who doesn't and sort of be able to balance those. I'm realizing now as we're talking about this in my book, Temper, I have two points of view and I mean, they're both living in Chicago, but one of the characters is supposed to be from Ohio originally, um, Kira, and then the other one is supposed to be from the Philadelphia area. But uh, Joanna, the one from the Philadelphia area, acts way more Midwestern nice. She is like, she will just smile and like say things that like 10 days later, you'll be like, oh my God, she was insulting me. Like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So I think I put all of my Midwestern stuff into her. I should have just made her from the Midwest. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) It's done now because Kira is much more, um, like, doesn't really have that poker face and is much more like, will show her anger and will show, like, she's not very good at being Midwestern, even though she's from there. (laughs) It is fun to write that push and pull. It really is. Mm-hmm. Just like more reserved characters versus more like overt characters, I think can be such an interesting conflict, no matter where they're from. Agreed. Yes, that's the that's the fun part of writing. Well, this has been such a fun discussion, Rachel. Thank you for coming on. Do you want to tell the people to wrap up like what you're working on now and also where we can find you on the Internet? Sure. Yeah, I'm working on a you're going to hate this, but it's technically historical fiction because it's set in 1998. No. Um, <laughs> I reject it. <laughs> so that's my current project. Um, and you can find me on the internet at R.M. McKenney. That's M-C-K-E-N-N-Y on Twitter. And I'm a Twitter person. I'm on there all the time. Or on Instagram at Rachel Mans McKenney. Or just on Facebook at Rachel Mans McKenney Writer. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.